another hope-filled message from Life. For more information about our church, visit lifeau.org. Now, Craig and I recently had the incredible privilege of heading to Japan and snowboarding together for 10 days, which was amazing. We got back just last Saturday and it was like a second honeymoon for us because we fell in love at the snow in the States and Colorado, snowboarding over there for, for three months. Craig was an instructor and I was the bagel girl. And uh, actually was the bagel girl. And we fell in love there. We had our first kiss up a gondola. And so it was awesome. We just had this awesome time together. <clears throat> Not sure what quite happened there. But I got us, I got us to remembering our, our wedding day, and not that I forgot it, but, you know, just, you know, re-remembering our wedding day. And we were so, I look back at our wedding day, and we were so young and naive. We were just 20 and 21. Funny story, actually, I had to be the one to drive our car on our honeymoon because Craig was too young to get insurance for the car. This little there. And we were just so excited about getting married. I, I was a student, so I was incredibly excited about getting a paycheck. And Craig was excited about other things. And, you know, we were just so pumped about getting married. And I just got a, sh- a photo to show you of what we were like. And I went, there we go. I know. <clears throat> and Craig was sporting the mop. Yes, there we are. That is my natural hair colour. It's a beautiful thing. So we, we, were, we were just so, I, I just, our wedding day, you know, it was very different back then, organising your wedding. Like weddings are just, I feel like they're up there now. Like it's such this major event. But for us, like we just got married at a church. We had a reception at a surf club on a beach, a, a buffet style meal. We were very relaxed in it. You know, I remember when we handed out our wedding invitations, but we were just in the youth ministry at that time. We just rocked up to church and kind of handed out our wedding invites. No friends had got married before us, so we had no idea what we were doing. Just very relaxed. And and so it came to our wedding day. It was a magical day. I walked down the aisle to come what may. Never thought I would feel like this. Like I've never seen the sky before. And it goes on and on. And we had this magical ceremony. And then it got to the reception. And I still remember we were having photos outside the reception. And everybody kind of, guests were starting to arrive. And... We had this moment when we were giving out our wedding invitations where one of our friends, Alistair, didn't get his wedding invite, a really close friend of ours. And we were like, that's so weird. You know, we had it there. And so we got him another one. And then we had this moment when we were having our photos taken when guests were arriving where this other Alistair turned up who was in youth. And we were like, what is he doing there? And we, we watched him and he's searching the tables for his seat. And we're like, it just dawned on us. We're like, oh no, there has been a mix up with the wedding invites. And that Alistair has got the other Alistair's wedding invitation. So we're like cringing. We're like, oh no. And we can see him searching for a seat on the table, but there's no seat for him on the table. So we had this moment of, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? This awkward, awkward, awkward moment. Would not recommend it at all. 
And so fortunately, one of our friends who was there, our youth pastor at the time, actually dealt with it for us and went up to him and was like, you know, mate, sorry, there's just been a mix-up in invitations and there's actually no seat for you (laughs) at the table. And he was awesome about it. He was like, well, I kind of thought it was weird that I was invited and we had a dance afterwards, which he came back for, which was brilliant. But I still look back at that moment with so much regret. You know, I imagine being before Jesus one day and he's like, well, you know, you're pleased with what you did at life. And I'm like, there was that invitation for Alistair that got mixed up. Still this big regret. You know, don't you love that we have a God that does not mix up our invitations? He always has a spot for us at His table. He doesn't do a Craig and Anadia with this like, hey, come, you're invited. But actually, there's no seat for you. To be honest... Sometimes we almost think God's like that. Like, is it really for me, God? Is it actually for me? And there's kind of this second guessing in our head, like, do you really have good things in store for me? See, I love how the Bible talks. It uses often this metaphor of being invited, the kingdom of heaven, being like having this invitation to this wedding party, this gear, this dinner party. And it talks about in Luke 14, verse 15 to 23, it's the story of the dinner party and Jesus is speaking. And as he's speaking, it triggered a response from one of the guests. And they said, how fortunate the one who gets to eat dinner in God's kingdom. And Jesus followed up and said, yes, for there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. When it was time for dinner, he sent out a servant to the invited guests saying, come on in, the food's on the table. But they all began to beg off, one after another making excuses. The first one said, I bought a piece of property. I need to look over it, send my regrets. Another said, I just bought five timber oxen. Excuse me, I really need to check them, send my regrets. And yet another said, I just got married and I'm whipped and I need to get home to my wife. The servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged and told the servant, quickly, get out into the city streets and the alleys, collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and the homeless and wretched you can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, Master, I did what you commanded and there's still room. The master said, then go to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. I want my house full. Don't you love that heart of our God? I want my house full. Come on, I want to encourage us as a church. He wants his house full. We're going to be inviting people here. Come on, there's a seat for every single person at his table. Let me tell you, not all, not one of these originally invited is going to get as much as a bite at my dinner party. See, I love the kingdom of God. It's like this incredible banquet, this dinner feast where everybody is invited. Everyone has a place at the table. What I love about being invited to a dinner party is that you know the spread is going to be good. If someone could help me actually just take this tablecloth off. Thank you, lovely. You know it's going to be good. You know the spread is going to be a little bit of something, something like this. This beautiful spread of goodness. And that's what God's saying. He's like, I've got a seat for you at my table, my table of goodness. And he's using this metaphor because God's got so many good things in store for us. So much freedom, so much joy, so much peace, so much of the miraculous so much goodness, so many healings, so many things He wants to do in and through us. 
He's got this exquisite banquet, this exquisite feast for us. But see, I've found there's an incredible difference between knowing about it and actually partaking of it. So many of us here, what I'm talking about tonight, we're like, yeah, 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 we know God's like that. Yeah, yeah, I got it. There's a difference between knowing about it and actually taking your place at the table. See, when you take your place at the table, what you're saying is, I've got an expectation to receive. My posture is one where I'm saying, bring it to me. Like when people come into my home and they sit around the dinner table, you know they're there to be served. When you have your posture of God, I'm ready. I'm expectant to receive. Come on, what's our posture like? Are we actually seating ourselves at this table? Are we just kind of looking at it from afar going, man, that looks awesome. Man, God looks good. Man, He looks awesome. But I don't know if it's really for me. I don't know if it's really mine to partake in. But God's saying, come on, I've got a seat for you. Would you come and would you rest? Would you come and take a seat? See, all this year, God has been speaking to me about this thought of how's your expectation going? Have you got an expectation to receive? Because see, to be honest, we can live out our Christianity in a pretty dormant and a pretty plateau place. Kind of just getting by. Just kind of managing. Just like, well, whatever kind of life serves me up, I'm good, God. Rather than actually setting ourselves, excuse me, at His lavish table, feasting off all His goodness. We can just live, and I've found myself in this place where, what am I actually believing for? How is my expectation? How is my hope going? God, what are the areas where I need to stir my hope again? Where I need to stir my faith again? Where God, where I need to expect you for more? Where I need to expect you for greater? God, what do you want to speak? And I would love us to open our hearts tonight and go, hey, what are those areas where God is just putting His finger on? He's saying, you know what? You need to renew your hope again. Come on, you need to get expectant again for what I want to do. See, I love all through the Bible, those that saw a breakthrough in their life, Jesus turned up and radically changed the world. The key thing that said, them apart was they had this expectation to receive. They had this hunger, man, I'm here, I'm ready to receive. Danny read it before. The blind man crying out to Jesus, he had an expectation to receive. I love the story of the centurion soldier that turned up to Jesus and Jesus marveled at his faith. And Jesus said to him, sorry, he said to Jesus, would you come and heal my servant? And so Jesus said, okay, we'll go on away. And he said, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy of you coming to my house, but just say the word and I know that he'll be healed. He had this expectation to receive. I love the story of the lame man that was at Gate Beautiful and Peter and John went to the temple to pray during the afternoon. And the only thing that set him apart for his miracle was that he looked at them with an expectation to receive. Come on, have we got an expectation to receive alive on the inside of us? Or we've got dormant, a little bit flat with our hope, with our faith, with our ability to receive. See, this year, I'd love us to be intentional about taking a seat at the table and going, God, what is it that you got for me? What is it that you want me to feast on? What is it? What's the more? Mom, what's the more that you got for me? What's the goodness that you want to pour out into my life? What's the greater that you want me to take me into? Because God, I'm here. And I'm ready to receive sparkling grape juice, by the way, not wine. 
I'm ready to receive. I'm here wanting more. Now I think of people like Joe and Jacinta that had this position for seven years believing for their miracle baby. Seven years believing every altar call up the front, God, we need your miracle. God, would you move? I think of Chris and Francis, the same thing, infertility for years. And they just had their miracle twins last week. And I think of other amazing testimonies. I think of Evie, who's here tonight, and her amazing story and what God's done, just recently saved. And she's at her place in the table and she's like, God, what more have you got for me? She's about to be baptised. And there's this eager anticipation of God, what is the more that you've got for me? And her, her boyfriend has just got saved as well. Their lives are just radically being changed. And she's at this, this feasting table, God, where is there more? I think of beautiful Emily who serves in our kids most weeks. We honoured her at Heart and Soul on Wednesday night. And Craig said to her, why do you serve just like you do? You're just here all the time. You're in everything. And she said, I came into church. I did not have a Christian family, didn't know about God whatsoever. I came in, my life was so radically touched by God's love. And I wanna do whatever possible so that others will know the same love that I encountered. And she's at this feast going, God, what more have you got for me so that I can, I can give it to others? I've got stuff to give others. There's just this posture of, God, what more have you got? Are we seated at the table? Come on, what does God want to highlight? Where does He want you to lift your faith, stir your hope afresh again? Because He's got so much more for us. Does this make any sense? <clears throat> He's got so much more. I love what James 1 verse 6 to 8 says, just make sure you ask empowered by confident faith without doubting that you will receive. For the ambivalent person believes one minute and doubts the next. Being undecided makes you become like the rough seas driven and tossed by the wind. You're up one minute and tossed down the next. When you are half-hearted and wavering, it leaves you unstable. Can you really expect to receive anything from the Lord when you're in that condition? Come on, we've got to stir our faith again. And I know doubt can come, like Pastor James spoke about last week. Doubt is a very reality of our humanity. But we've got to keep working on our doubt. Come on, we cannot let our doubt win. God says He is the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the one that starts our faith and He perfects it. So if we're struggling in areas, it's like, God, I need you to keep developing my faith. But what I find so easy, we just plateau instead of developing our faith and strengthening and stirring our faith. Come on, I want to stir us up tonight to believe for more. So what I want to do is just talk about taking your place at the table and what that looks like. And the first thing is we've got to own our spot. We've got to own our spot at the table. Now, like I said, we can be so hesitant about taking our spot. Like, is this really for me? Did God really do all this for me? Has He really got all this goodness in store for me? Is it really for me or is it for somebody else? You know what? I love that Jesus wants us to be ballsy about taking our spot at the table. He wants us to be confident. He wants us to be secure. And we find this in Matthew 15, verse 21 to 28. It's a Lebanese woman's faith, it says. And it says in verse 21, Then Jesus left and went north into a non-Jewish region of Lebanon. He encountered there a Canaanite woman who screamed out to him, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is horribly afflicted by a demon that torments her. But Jesus never answered her. And so his disciples said to him, why do you ignore this woman who is crying out to us? Jesus said, I've only been sent to the lost sheep 
of Israel. What Jesus was meaning there was when He was here walking on the earth, His His main commission was to the sheep of Israel because there was just one person when He came and died on the cross. He made it very clear to the disciples that actually it was for the entire world. So just to give context to that statement. Then Jesus responded, it's not right for a man to take bread from his children and throw it out to the dogs. So he's testing her here. He's, he's calling her a dog. He's not been that kind. And she says, though, you're right, Lord. But even puppies eat the crumbs that fall from the prince's table. Then Jesus answered, dear woman, your faith is strong. What you desire will be done for you. And at that very moment, her daughter was instantly set free from the demonic torment. I love this woman. I love her ballsiness. I love the fact that she's like, I don't care what my position looks like at this table. I don't even care that I don't have a name on this table. I'm going to do whatever I possibly can. If my position looks like this at the table, at the feet at the table, where the family dogs are, I'm going to do whatever needs to be done to get to his table. And if it just means I get the scraps, then that's okay for me because I'm positioning myself where I'm going to eat from his table. The scraps, the leftovers are good enough for me. I love this lady. I love her attitude. Come on, I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to get in there. I'm going to stand. I'm going to be perseverant. Come on, I'm going to get in God's space. But how many of us, if, it, if we felt like Jesus was ignoring us, would be like, oh, well, yet done. We're out. Just feels like, God, you're not really listening at the moment. Come on, if we're to be honest, how many of us have backed off from really going after something because it feels like, God, are you really there? This woman, she didn't let Jesus' seeming lack of response deter her. She went after it with everything that she had. That's the kind of faith that our God's looking for. That kind of persistent, you know, that, that nagging widow, that persistent, come on, this is what I need. This is what I need. God, this is what I need. This is what I'm believing for, that persistent kind of faith. You know, and you can say to an argument like that, well, yeah, what about verses, scriptures, like hope deferred makes the heart sick. So I've been believing for something for a long time. I've been trusting God for a long time and He just has not come through. It feels like I'm getting heart sick because the breakthrough just isn't coming. And I really want to encourage you, our hope and our faith ultimately has got to be in God and not the outcome. Our God is the one, He can be trusted, His ways are far higher than our ways. And the greatest thing that we can do is just persistently come to Him over and over again, seeking Him first and foremost and not the outcome. I mean, I, we learned this moving to Melbourne. It was over six years ago. And God so had spoken to us about moving here so clearly, so adamantly. And to be honest, because He spoke so clearly, I kind of had the sense that we would get here and things would just be so good. Things would be so cruisy. It would be so easy because God was on it. You know, it would just, he would clear the pathways because he was doing his thing, building his church. But to be honest, it was the exact opposite. I still remember coming in, I think it was about five o'clock at night and landing and Zion was four years old at that stage and our daughter Hope was 18 months. Having our kids in all these suitcases around us and whoever was picking us up from the airport was late 
and just standing around and just going, oh, this is just different to what I expected. And then this whole week, the next week we had afterwards, it was like 14-hour days setting up this venue. And it's amazing people turned up to help as well. It was incredible. But to be honest, that first year was a hard year. There was a lot of transition happening with people. And it honestly felt like, okay, God, I know you've spoken, but where are you in this? We couldn't get a house to live. We lived with other people. And our two children who were so generous in opening up their homes to us for five months, living in other people's homes, it felt like no doors were opening at all. Like, God, where are you in this? But I look back now and I see God's hand on that entire season so strongly. Every person that we lived with, they're now key people that we do this with. And we needed that heart connection time with those people in that kind of way. The people transition, every one of them that took place, it needed to happen for the health of the church and the growth of what God was taking us to. We just needed the right people with us. And that sense of loneliness, being away from your family, God did something deep within us to prepare us for the next season. I see God's hand in it all, but in the moment, it felt like, God, where are you? But now I look back and I just see the evidence in the hand of God through it all. You know, God's way is so much greater than your way. He sees the entire picture. He sees it all laid out and He knows exactly what you need on this day to get you from here to the future that He's got for you. And often, it doesn't look like what we think it's gonna look like. We have to trust Him. Trust in Him, His character, not in the outcome. Not how we think He should perform for us. Our hope has gotta be in Him and not the outcome. Is this making sense? Because see, what we tend to do It's kind of like this. We're like sitting at our place on the table and we just want to go for the instant gratification. We want to go straight to the chocolate cake. Like, give me that thing, baby. That is exactly what I want. If if I had it my way, every meal would be chocolate cake first and then all the healthy stuff second. But God's like, no, this is what I'm actually setting before you. This is what's nutritional. Nutritional, see, I can't even say the word. This is what's healthy to eat. This is what's good for you. This is what you need. This is what I got for you in this season. Come on, would you partake of it? Would you trust me? His ways are so much higher than our ways, and we need to trust Him to set the menu for us. Revelation 8 verse 28 says, Meanwhile, the moment we get tired in the waiting. Anyone been tired in the waiting before? God's Spirit is right alongside helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in and for us, making prayer out of our wordless sighs, our aching groans. He knows us far better than we know ourselves, knows our pregnant condition and keeps us present before God. That's why we can be so sure that every detail of our lives of love for God is worked into something good. Come on, that needs to encourage someone tonight. He knows every detail of your life and He's working it out for His good. Come on, awesome. Why don't we applaud who our God is? The second thing is we've got to dress accordingly. Dress accordingly. In Matthew 22, it's another parable about this wedding feast that we're all invited to. And at the end of the parable, it says, So the servants went out into the city streets and invited everyone to come to the wedding feast, good and bad alike, until the banquet hall was crammed with people. Now, when the king entered the banquet hall, he looked with glee over his guests, but then he noticed a guest who was not wearing the wedding robe provided for him. 
So he said, my friend, how is it that you're here and you're not wearing this wedding garment? The man was speechless. Then the king turned to his servants and said, tie him up and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be great sorrow with weeping and grinding of teeth. You know what? We've got to dress accordingly to the feast that we are invited to. I love that passage. It can sound harsh, but there was a robe that was there fitted, ready for the man, but he did not wear what he was meant to wear to that wedding feast. Who knows that we have to dress according to the environment that we're in. Come on, if we're invited to a wedding these days, you have intentionality in how you dress, you get your hair done, you may buy a nice dress. Guys, you you probably get ready in five minutes, but you have great intentionality around it. Come on, we have great diligence that comes to our parents because we're invited somewhere where we have to be intentional. It's the same with our king's table. There has to be intentionality in how we dress. And I'm not, Jesus here is using the metaphor, not about our outward appearance, but our inner world. What's going on in our inner man, our inner woman? Come on, what's going on internally on the inside of us? And I wanna ask us today, how will we dress when it comes to the, the king's table? Come on, how we think matters. The attitude that we have, it matters. Come on, the things that we're dwelling about, the things that are in our eternal world that we need to work through, come on, it matters because it matters when we sit at this table, we receive often based on what we're thinking, how we're thinking, our attitudes, all of it matters. And we've got to dress accordingly. Come on, I want to stir us tonight. What is our dress looking like. What prophetically, actually, I felt from 2 Kings 25 verse 29, it says this passage, so Jehoiada king put aside his prison clothes and for the rest of his life ate regularly at the king's table. I felt that as, I felt that as a prophetic statement over us as a church. Come on, for many of us, it's time to put the prison clothes aside. It's time to put aside the things that we have just dressed in that's been our natural attire for too long and take on the king's clothes. Take on the king's outfit for us. Come on, take on his way of thinking. Come on, some of us for too long, we've thought about ourselves in a negative way. Come on, we just, we're down and out about ourselves. I wish I was prettier. I wish I was, guys, more handsome, whatever you say. You know, I wish... I did that better. I wish I was more skilled in that. I wish I was all these things. We speak so down about ourselves. Is that the way the king thinks about you? Come on, we're gonna align who we are, what's going on in our internal world with what matches up with his word. Come on, attitudes that have got in there. Negative attitudes. Cynical thinking in terms of people and maybe even God's church. And those things are stopping us from receiving at the king's table because they've got in our spirit and it's not fitting for being at the king's table. Come on, what mindsets, what attitudes, what statements have we even had on repeat that we need to change so that our talk matters to our king's talk? No, we need to listen to ourselves on back play. Sorry, back play? Playback, that's how you say it. I was watching, Zion had his uh, swimming sports this week, his district swimming sports. 
And I'm a very passionate mum when it comes to cheering on my kids. I love getting in there. Just, it just kind of this thing, this maybe competitive thing that I have kind of takes over in those moments. And Zion was in one, his breaststroke race. So I was along the sideline just filming him. And uh, I was just um, passionately cheering him on. And I'm like, go, buddy, go, saying all these things. And as he got to the finish line, I stopped recording. And then I played it back, what I had filmed. And what I thought I was saying and what I was actually saying were two very different things. Like I was being a lot more forceful than I probably should have been. Things were coming out of my mouth that were probably too strong for a 10-year-old. So when he did his next race, I changed my words. I changed my tune a little bit. And you know, for some of us, we've got to play back how we're speaking. We've got to play back how we're thinking. We've got to play back the things that are coming out of our mouth and go, actually, does that match what God says? Does that match His Word? Come on, even with people around us sometimes, I'm like, I, I say things back to them. I'm like, okay, this thing here, you know, it, it wasn't the best way of saying that. And they're like, well, I didn't mean it like that. And I'm like, yeah, but that's what it sounded like. We've got to listen to ourselves and play it because it reveals what's going on in our heart. Come on, just allow God to touch areas of our lives that don't match up to who He created us to be. Come on, He's got a robe to fit on us. We've got to take that robe and power ourselves with it. But we've got to take it on. It doesn't just get dropped on us. We've got to embrace it. Is this making sense? See, I really believe God is just wanting to put His finger maybe on areas of pain in our world that have caused us to just keep the prison clothes on for too long. Now, when we were snowboarding, it was like the fifth day and I was absolutely exhausted. I am not physically fit at the moment. Craig really is. And we had been snowboarding all these different places. Thankfully, most of the time when we were snowboarding, there was tree runs off to the side that Craig could do. And I then I did the main slopes. But on this fifth day, I was just so tired. And so we were, it was about two o'clock or something. And we both said, look, we'll, we'll hit it early today. And so we were on the last run home. And, and I hit this icy part of snow and, and came down on, on my front. And so I've got all these bruises down here. And, and it was painful when I fell. And I just had this meltdown with Craig. I'm like, I am not enjoying this whatsoever. I just want to go home. And Craig's like, babe, we are going home. I'm like, I'm home. I want to go back to Melbourne. I just had this complete meltdown. Craig's like, who are you right now? And we just had this moment. He's like, Craig, like, babes, like, get ahead. Like, got to get yourself together because we've got to get down this mountain. I'm like, okay, I'm fine. And so we got down this mountain. I'm like, where the heck did that come from? Like, where did that come from? And I realized when I got down the, the next two days, I either cracked or ribbed or bruised it really badly because for the whole last few weeks, I've been in pain with this rib. And, but it's amazing how you react out of pain. It can cause you to react in a way where like, where the heck did that come from? You know, we've got to, in those moments, go, okay, God, what is it that you need to bring healing to? What is it that you just want to put your finger on? Just allow me to open up to you afresh and allow you to bring healing to that area. Because come on, we don't want to be people that react out of pain. We want to be people that dress ourselves in a way that we can sit at the king's table fully receiving everything that he's got for us. Is this making sense? The last point tonight, if I can have the keys up, please, is to remain at the table. 
to remain at the table. So the biggest challenge that often we can have is just staying put at the table. I find with my little boy Ezekiel, he's 20 months old at the moment, and I'm trying to teach him that to eat, he has to be at the table. We have these family movie nights where we all sit around the TV and here's this little table and chair and he just gets distracted the entire time because he's wanting to get off his chair, go play with something, get off his chair, go give me a cuddle and I have to just keep bringing him back to the chair and being like, hey mate, if you can eat, you've got to be seated at the table. Come sit back at the table. There's no like just grabbing the snack and like doing my own thing over here. No, you've got to be seated at the table because to eat... You've got to be positioned at the table. And see, I find there's so many things that can distract us away from His table. Come on, how massive is fear? Distracting us from being at the table of faith. The coronavirus, man, such a prime example of what the voice of the media can do. And I know it's a really serious virus that we need to be really careful about, but I would say the fear around that virus at the moment is causing more chaos than the actual virus itself. For our economy, man, YouTube fight with women like bashing each other over toilet paper. Like, it's insane. It's amazing what fear does when we lean into the voice of fear. It's like what Job says, what I feared most came upon me. Fear becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Come on, have we been drawn away from the table because of fear? Other things may be doubt. Like I said before, cynicism. Those little things that can get in our spirit that can get on the inside of us, that just slowly eat away. Things like pride. A massive thing is unworthiness. Huge, I don't really belong at that table. I don't deserve to be at that table. Man, I stuffed up in this this week. I don't deserve everything that God's got for me. Unworthiness is, is massive. You know, our expectation to receive is not based on how good we are. It's not based on what we deserve. It's based on how good our King is. I love our children and they have such expectation to receive, in particular our daughter Hope, who's almost eight years old. Gifts is her love language and she has an expectation to receive. We're in Tokyo for a few nights and we're FaceTiming her, you know, from Hello Kitty stores and stores like that. And she's like, oh my gosh, bring everything home. I need it all. And she's like, begging, wants it all. She'll go up to random people in church all the time. They're Christmas time. She was asking like four different people for giving them her Christmas wish list. People were coming up to me going, is it okay if I buy her this? I'm so embarrassed. She's just such this ability to ask. She's got this expectation to receive. You know what? It's not based on her being good enough. It's not based on her getting it all right. It's not based on what she deserves. It's based on she's our girl. That's it. Your expectation to receive 
based on you're His. You're His son. You're His daughter. And He wants to pour His best into your world. We've got to rise our expectation. Love what it says. This is my last passage. In Matthew 7, verse 7 to 11. And I know many of us would have heard this before, but I really want us to get it tonight. Like get the bigness and the majesty of this verse, the goodness of the Father to us in this verse. And He said, Jesus is speaking, He said, Ask and the gift is yours. Seek and you'll discover. Knock and the door will be opened for you. For every persistent one who get will get what he asks for. Come on, how amazing is that statement? For every persistent one will get what he asks for. Every persistent seeker will discover what he longs for. And everyone who knocks persistently will one day find an open door. Do you know of any parent that would give his hungry child who asked for food a plate of rocks instead? Or when asked for a piece of fish, would which parent would offer his child a snake instead? If you then, imperfect as you are, know how to lovingly take care of your own children, to give them what's best, come on, to give them what's best, how much more readily is your heavenly Father to give wonderful gifts to those who ask Him? He's got good in store for you. He's got greater. Come on, would you stir hope afresh tonight? We hope you enjoyed this podcast from Life. If you have any questions or want to contact someone about this message, visit lifeau.org.